Welcome one and all once again to the Man of Steel cast part 2. Last week we learned that the world believed the man can fly. This week we learned that he also has like a hundred other powers he didn't get to use in that first film. We're checking out Superman 2. No funny subtitles. Um, Superman 2 sees the return of what Christopher Reeves and uh, somewhat the return of Gene Hackman. And depending on the version you watch, the return of Mario Brando. Um, and I mean, I think that Superman's two greatest legacy today is the fact that there are two primary versions, the original theatrical release that came out in 1980 and a 2006 recut, the Richard Donner cut from the original director of the film. Uh, for the purposes of this show, we're mostly going to be talking about Superman 2, the original version. Um, I will interject at random points, because I think I'm the only one who watched the uh, Richard Donner cut as well. Um, I did not. No, no and we, 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 you know, we just said we weren't going to, because it's easier to just talk about one. Okay. Uh, the basic premise of this film, in either version, is that three Kryptonian prisoners, General Zod, Ursa, Ursula and Nam are released from the Phantom Zone and come to the planet Houston where they wreck carnage and mayhem while Superman is trying to bed Lois Lane. Um, okay, he's not trying to bed her. He does bed her. She's trying to figure out that Clark Kent is, sec- um, Clark Kent is Superman and Superman is vice versa and it's done in two different ways in both versions and we'll get to that in a second. But, um, Let's kick that off. Um, you two want to share how you when you first saw this film? Uh, James, go ahead. Um, sure. Um, I think I had caught glimpses of this one in bits and pieces along the years in television, but it was only uh, yesterday when I finally sat down and watched the whole thing all the way through. Oh, well, I, I'm kind of curious your thoughts on it, because Superman 2 was kind of always held up as this kind of benchmark of great comic book movies, but it's it's also 23, 33 years old now. I'm curious how it is for somebody coming in to seeing it for the first time 30 years later. Um, I more or less really liked it. I mean, I don't think it's as good as the first one in any way. I think it has some story problems, but I think they do a, a, a fairly good job working within their effects budget. Christopher Reeves and Margaret Kidder are still great. I really like Terrence Stamp as Zod. Um, I think there are some... I guess it sort of has some pacing issues. Like, I think things don't quite fit together very very well in terms of structure, but overall, I think it's a really good follow-up. Okay. David? I had seen this movie for the first time... Uh, uh, let me think. I think when the Superman Returns came out. So I think I saw this in, back in 2005 for the first time. And my initial impression of all of the Superman movies were they were okay, but not great. And I, 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 I'm much fonder of all of them now than I was then, but I still don't think that they're great. I, I think that easily the best part of this entire movie was Terrence, was Terrence Stamp as Zod. Uh, and, uh, and I thought I, I would agree with James and say that, that my biggest criticism for the movie would be the pacing of it. Um, I just felt like, uh, I felt like I didn't overly understand. Uh, I didn't feel like the drama mounted at the right moments, where Zod's more or less taking over the uh, the world, 
and uh, Superman is uh, awful fortress, you know. I, th- I didn't feel like a lot of that made a lot of sense. But besides that, I did like the movie. Okay, so, yeah, like I was saying, I actually kind of have the opposite problem. Um, is that I feel the climax goes on way too long in this film. Like, once, because, I mean, Superman and the three Kryptonians really have one fight, and that fight's, like, 40 minutes long. Yeah. And it's kind of fun, but it's also kind of hokey because it's like, I don't know if it's the effects budget or what, but they don't really come into direct contact that often. Um, it's basically them just kind of like throwing stuff at each other, blowing, like gust of wing and people around and Superman trying to save people. <laughs> and, um, it's just really funny to watch now. But, um, uh, well, but I wouldn't say though that, it being revealed that his greatest weakness is not kryptonite, his greatest weakness is his compassion for humanity. That is probably the the best take on Superman is to try and go ahead and say, okay, it's not like it's not like kryptonite is his only weakness. No, his weakness is his affection for humankind. So yes. I so I did like that. Well, I, I, it's not that I didn't like it. I just felt that the, that, that that fight went on way too long. I would agree. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> um, it does make up the pretty much the back end of the movie, and like, he escapes, and then they kind of find him at the Fortress of Solitude. But yeah, for the most part, it makes up like the last hour of the film is just this fight between them, and like it. it I, I don't want to say nothing changes. I mean, it part of the fight and part of the appeal of the three Kryptonian villains is the fact to show that they're Superman's equal. So it's not a fight that he should have won in five minutes. But I do think at some point it should have been trimmed down a bit more. Um, but I guess going back to your um, your complaint about pacing, I you know it's I, I actually never thought of it that way, but I can see your problem because it does. I mean, I assume the film takes place concurrently when the three Kryptonians are landing and Superman is, you know, in the Fortress of Solitude, but they're always getting it on and giving up his powers and then taking his miracle walk back and forth. Um, yeah, so, yeah, um, go on. Uh, yeah. Um, I thought one issue I had with the power, with the idea, but as far as, like, I thought there was a good reason for him to give it up, but it felt like he was really too quickly to realize that he had made a mistake. Like, it just felt like it was very, oh, wait a minute, why did I do that? I, I have to be Superman. It just it, it felt like it went, went over too quickly as his character arc. And I think that's kind of the point. I feel like it's the other way around, I think. And and this doesn't come out as well in the um, the original cut. It's kind of more emphasized in the Donna cut. But, I mean, it's kind of a back and forth between him and his dad about giving up this power. And his dad saying that he's kind of thinking irrational and he's just trying, you know, he's being emotional. And that is kind of what he's doing. He's like, you know what, I can't be with, oh, I'm Superman. So I'm going to give up all these powers, not realizing what he's given up and what he means to the world. Um, Actually, that would be my question. In the Donner cut, did they explain when, when Clark, obviously, again, I watched it the regular, the, the original way, did he, he he got to this point where he says, well, my father was right. What, what Was that referencing something that happened in the Donner cut? I assume so, because like I said, um, um, uh, Mario Brando doesn't make an appearance at all in the original cut of Superman 2. But all of the scene, like there are scenes with him and Chuck. There are scenes with him and Superman in the Donna cut that they restored partially because 
and we'll get to this in a, uh, later on with Superman Returns, um, where, you know, like the whole, the father becomes the son and the son becomes the father speech is from Superman 2. So, yeah, it's um, one of those things, it's one of the main reasons that Brian Singer pushed for this cut. The second thing that I thought was really jarring was at the end where he's giving the illusion where there's like four Supermans. And then he says, we used to play this when we were kids. He was never very good. Well, I don't understand that at all. What is he talking about? Yeah, because, um, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, like, I, if you know the history of this film, is that this was filmed concurrently with Superman 1. Right. And about half, more than halfway through, they kicked off uh, Richard Donner, who finished up Superman, and they replaced him with Richard Jester. And I guess some ruin Hollywood with the act, screen actors guild or whatever is that a director has to film 51% of a movie for it to be considered their own so I guess he literally filmed like 51% of the film and he just cut so there's a lot of stuff that are is still from the Donna cut that they probably didn't have because like, a lot of the time you know Brando didn't come back and Hackman didn't come back so any of the scenes with Hackman is also from when um Donna was still director, so they, you know, they had to craft the movie around the scenes they already had, and some of it probably stayed without them realizing it didn't make any sense. Um, and I mean, we're jumping ahead a bit, but I mean, this isn't actually from. I have no idea where this is from, but the um, the, the part of the climax and one of the most confusing aspects of the Superman franchise is the thing when he throws off his chest shield. Yeah. 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 I was. I actually watched this with my sister, and she she literally screamed what and I, I i didn't really think a thing of it because i guess i'm just too used to batman pulling out his you know from the batman series with adam west i guess i'm just too used to just uh just spontaneous things happening but i, I didn't really think a thing of it to be perfectly honest it, it was a huge thing because it doesn't make any sense it's not like he takes off his chest because it's like he has like a payoff thing because he still has it on and it grows around this guy, so it's like a lot of confusing choices that people don't get. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, there are a couple of elements in this film that are a bit hokey and cheesy, but and we'll kind of see this more when we get to Superman three next week. Is that it's the X to inject humor into these films, even you know to the detriment of it at times. Um, not to say that you know Donna is a somber, dark tale. It's just not as I guess, sapstick as they want it to be in this one, because a lot of this stuff, even in the climax, isn't there. Like, a lot of, the climax in the Donna cut is a lot shorter. Like, yep. the fight in Metropolis. Um, yeah, this and, this is what they wanted the Superman movies to be all along. They wanted it to sort of be a lot of, uh, sort of comedic relief, sort of uh, funny. That's This is what the, the otherwise the original script was, and Donna more or less threw out when he came on. So, and I, I, I kind of get that to a degree because to me, you know, Superman is a lighthearted character. He's not dark. He's not zombie. He's supposed to bring hope and all that other stuff. But, you know, there is a balance between that and campy. Yeah. Um, and again, this isn't, you know, it's not so bad. It goes full camp, the next film. Um, and I guess the other thing, uh, you know, this again goes to the pace. And as you mentioned, part of it is the always Superman dynamic in this film where she figures out that he's Superman and she's trying to get him to basically she's trying to out him um in the in this version I forget does she find out at Niagara Falls or does she find out at the Daily Planet 
she finds out a couple of times, and then she finds out at the Niagara Falls, and then he sort of tricks her into believing that he that he uh, that he's not Superman, and then he takes her back to the apartment on some sort of uh, yeah, or, I don't know, excuse me, back to the hotel room that they were staying at, and then and then he falls into the fire, and she sees where he didn't scorch his hand, and so then it's revealed to her. Yeah. yeah, like she had and, been figuring it out all the way back back when they were at the Daily Planet, and then she seemed to almost think in Niagara, but then he was able to trick her out of it. Okay, because in and and I think it's done better in the Donna cut, especially the part where she actually finds out because, like you said, in this version she finds out when he trips into the fireplace and his hand doesn't burn. For some reason, I always remember that as him cooking, but um, like, in the he was just being clumsy, Clark. Yeah, a bit too much. But in the in the Donna cut, she I think she originally finds out, but like she she kind of puts it together. I think she does it in this version as well. I could be mistaken. Where she like sees a newspaper article with Superman, and she starts drawing guests and a hat on him, and says that he looks like you know she thinks he looks like Clark. So what she does is she jumps out the window to you know because if he is Superman, he's going to save her, and if not, you know she's risking her own life. So what happens is that. He uh, he's able to like he he drops like an awing before she hits the ground so she bounces and you know she doesn't hurt herself. Um, so later on when that Niagara falls, she says she realized her mistake in thinking that Superman was Clark Kent. And the first time she risks her own life and not Superman's life, so she takes out a gun and she shoots him. And he catches the bullet in his hand and that's how she figures it out. And then um, Superman gets upset at her. She's like, you know, he's like, you know, if you were mistaken, you would have killed the man. And she's like, with a blank? So she tricked him into revealing his identity. And I think that's a lot more... Because, you know, this way, it Otis is on Noah's for figuring it out and setting up a trap. The other way, Superman just being a clutch. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's weird to hear how they how backwards they did it for the Donner Cut versus how they what they went with. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh go on <laughs> well no it's, it's just that basically i think that i'm a bigger fan of again i haven't seen donner's cut but i think that i'm a bigger fan of what donner was trying to do and i i didn't i don't know i just i didn't overly like this to be perfectly honest i i and then and then to me it spirals downwards it continues its spiral downward in my opinion in three and four so yeah yeah um, I mean, so what did you think of him giving up his powers? Well, I would agree with James and just say that it, I felt like it happened, like it just felt really rushed. And uh, and it felt sort of like if that if that decision would have come earlier in the film and then he was living more so with like uh, Zod is ruling over him and he doesn't know how to uh, how to stand up to him because he lost his powers and whatever. If there would have been more of that in the movie, then I would have liked it a lot more. But being that it's like it, it it did just feel too uh, too quick and a little too rushed. But I but I otherwise liked the concept of him giving up his powers to be with his loved one. I did like that idea. <laughs> it's also kind of funny because I didn't realize until watching this the parallels between it and Spider Man franchise. Because in Spider Man Two, Peter also gives. I mean, Peter doesn't give up his powers. His power starts to fail him, but he does give up being Spider-Man to be with the one he loves, and of course they are put in danger, so he, he has you know, he gets the courage to get his powers back or whatever and becomes Spider-Man, it's the same thing here. Um, the one aspect I didn't like, and they, I, thankfully enough I didn't cut this out of the Donner version 
is when he's Clark Kent, when he just has the powers, he ends up in a bar with Lois Lane, and he gets into a fight where he gets beat up. Um, which is fine, you know, he's human now, and he doesn't know how to fight. That makes sense. I don't like the fact that he decides to come back at the end of the film once he gets his powers back and fights this dude. Yeah, that felt really weird and out of character for him. It was one of those things I'm like, wait, didn't your parent? I feel like Ma and Pa Kent would have taught him better than that. Yeah, because it feels like he's using his powers to be a boy at that point. If that was something that happened after the credits rolled, I would have loved it. Because it would just be something funny to sort of almost like for those for those who stuck around. But to have it right at the end of the movie, I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the happy ending for him. <laughs> like they, they wrap up him and Lois with the uh, the other superpower that he doesn't exhibit too often, the amnesia kiss. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He, he has whatever powers the writers need him to. Yeah, I, I don't even know how often an amnesia kiss would come in handy. <laughs> I would I would love to see that in comic books though, where he's like kissing Dark Side so he forgets where Earth is, or him making out with Exeter when he finds out his secret identity, or finds out about Kryptonite. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then also like for example though the way that uh, Zod and all of them, whatever that was, like sh- like uh, shooting the beam out of their finger or whatever, I felt like that also kind of came out of nowhere too. It's one. It's one of the. I I didn't realize until yesterday. I was checking. And I was reading a Wikipedia about Superman. Superman has a lot of powers that are just kind of situational or seem like crutches that writers gave him so that they could write themselves out of it. Yeah. Um, and Amnesia Kiss seems like I forget how he does it in the Donner cut. I don't think it's a kiss, but she does forget that he's Superman as well. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, there are, there are a lot of odd decisions in there, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, like, you know, we mentioned the pace and we mentioned the kind of forced um, humor and stuff like that, but I think what really holds this film together and the reason it holds so well, I, and, you know, somebody mentioned it earlier, is Terrence Stamp, and it's the three Kryptonians. They are very interesting villains, um, and, you know, they are kind of, you know, and, oh, I guess I comparing to Donna Cut to this again is that the Donna Cut goes back to the end of Superman and the start of Superman, really, with the whole council on Krypton and, you know, them being sentenced to death and stuff, or sentenced to the Phantom Zone. And I believe it, it, retro, it, it, it you know, like the original idea, and I think they do it in the Donna Cut, is that the missiles that Superman throws into space at the end of Superman 1 is what releases them from the Phantom Zone. Yes. And, instead of the nuke from the Eiffel Tower. Which is a lot better of an idea, really, to kind of bleed them together. Is that Yeah. Is, I mean, either one is, you know, I don't think one's right in the other, but one makes more sense. Yeah, because, because then it makes more sense that Lex Luthor unwittingly brings them to Earth. I mean, it's it just the whole thing bled together a lot more nicely. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I can see how it, like, connects it better character-wise. Like, while I like the... Paracene with Eiffel Tower is pretty... Uh, apart from f- giving an excuse for them to be freed from the Phantom Zone, it's pretty extraneous. Well, it fed into that problem that I kind of cited earlier, and what you said too, James, where it's like, it, it's just... The pacing seemed weird. Like, if they could have just said the nukes at the end of the... Fir- or, excuse me, the, the, the missiles from the end of the first one, 
blew up the the VR their Phantom Zone deal, and they're coming to Earth, and then they could have cut out the whole Phantom or that that whole Eiffel Tower scene. The movie could have had its pacing a lot better and more on pace, really, for the uh, for the climax, sort of. I I, 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 I think that, but I also think that one, and I will give this to the rest of the cut, the original cut, is that starting off with the Eiffel Tower does give it an action set piece, because if you go with the Donna cut, there isn't really any action set pieces, and I think, you know, until the Kryptonians come and kind of wreak havoc. So you would kind of go, you know, it's kind of the same thing with the original Superman, which is a long time before it's an action set piece. But here you just kind of get, you know, you get thrown into the film right away. Um, Granted, it's not Superman's greatest feat of action. He just kind of takes forever to fight the Eiffel Tower. But you do get a lot more Elvis as well. Um, So, yeah, um, you know, it it was nice for them to tie it in because that's not something we see often with superhero films where, like, you know, even though we have movies that are kind of sequels, they don't really have like, okay, you know, this set up this and this set up that. It's kind of like, okay, this happens, and here's the character like six months later. Yeah, the only one I can think of really is the the Dark Knight trilogy, how how nicely Batman Begins bleeds into Dark Knight Rises. But yeah, besides that, I cannot think of a single superhero movie that uses continuity like that. Okay, uh... So yeah, is there, um, I mean, I am, oh, I guess we, we kind of mentioned about the fight going on too long. Um, what about Rex Luthor in this film? Did you like him, or? Uh, I think he's fine, like, he, he's definitely got a much smaller part. Um, I like that he ditched his, uh, other henchmen, but I think it's, I think it's like a nice bit part. I like, I like the way they work it in, just the kind of guy who would just sort of immediately betray humanity to Zod. Yeah, I, I was kind of curious, though, because you see what happens to Otis, but I don't know what happens to Miss Tessmacher. That's exactly what I was just about to say, because Otis gets left at the prison, but... You're right. The last time we see, the last time we see them is when they're, uh... With the last Miss Tessmacher is when they're heading south from the fortress. Yeah, and I don't know what happens to her. Like, he shows up in Washington, and she's never seen again. <laughs> I thought that I just I just thought that, but the the thing that tripped me up more at the time when I was watching it was how did Clark and Lois get out from the fortress? It it seems like they walked. <laughs> yeah, it would be a really really long walk. Yeah, because I mean it's <laughs> I mean it's implied that and, and it's not implied. It's actually, the literally says that the fortress is tied to the North Pole, and I think they end up in like the northern tip of Canada. Yeah. Well, it's, the next time we see them, it, like was well, like what you said, they were they were going to the uh, diner, and then he gets yeah. in the fight. And so the point is, it's like, wow, you guys just walked and walked and walked until you guys finally got someplace and said, all right, time to eat. I'm going to assume the Flash gave them a ride. <laughs> and, until, you, I mean, until you told me otherwise, I'm assuming every other superhero DC character still exists within this universe. And, and yeah, and not only that, but Superman gets to walk back because Lois is in a city. She can catch a plane, she can catch a bus. He has to walk back to the Fortress of Solitude. So I don't know how long of a trip this is. I don't know how long the Kryptonians are there causing havoc because <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem like a long time, but it has to be. <laughs> Maybe that's where Mrs. Tessbacher was. She was just giving them rides back and forth all the time. <laughs> It's like, well, I don't feel like going anywhere. I'll just ferry you across the Arctic. Yeah, she's going to make a heck of a living this way. 
you want to see Superman's home? Come with me. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I also don't know how he fig- how did he figure out where Superman is, or are we just assuming this is super genius? Next year, they're getting. Um. I think they explained that when he was in prison, he had built a machine that, like, tracks some kind of wave Superman gave off when he flew. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, they, pinpoint the location of the fortress. Yeah, because, it, goes back, know, it goes back to that unlimited library that you mentioned last time. Just yeah, to, just, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you have a lot of free resources in prison to build these type of contractions and it, nobody questioning you. Exactly. <laughs> and that was my... And I, that's my criticism with Hackman yet again is I just can't take him seriously, but I will, I'll also agree with James and say that I thought that, that him betraying humanity the way I, that was all entirely believable where it's like, he's going to sell out Superman so that he can get Australia or whatever. I mean, that, that works. I like that, but I just, I have the the fact that he keeps on doing it though, even though every time they get what they want, they kill him. Yeah. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got something like, okay. At some point you have to realize that these people are going to kill you. They aren't going to give you what you want. Yeah, you might as just, well just wait around for Brainiac at this point. Yeah, but at any moment, though, he could refine that kryptonite and use that. Um, like, he would have to do it to all three of them at once, and... I mean, if he had it on him, he should have taken it out at some point, but I do like that uh, Superman, and we kind of mentioned this in the first film, because quote-unquote Superman doesn't die, but I do like that he tricks you into tricking those people for him. Yeah. And I also did, and I know, I know I just brought up Kryptonite, but I also do like the fact that they did not use Kryptonite as the uh, as his uh, weakness for two consecutive films. They used it like, okay, the first one is Kryptonite, but you know what's you know what's worse to, worse than Kryptonite for him? It's actually his love for humanity. Yes, actually, enough. They go back to Kryptonite in the next movie, yeah, and they go back to the multi-cut Kryptonite, which I'm always I've never been a huge fan of. <laughs> So yeah. Um so yeah, I mean I think is there anything else you folks want to mention about Superman too? Um I still love Margaret Kidder. I think she's great as, as Lois. Yes. So don't get used to that too much in the next film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my I would say that you know, as I already said, just basically Terrence Stamp is amazing. And also I don't understand why they couldn't get David Prowse to play as uh Nam. I, 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 and 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 this is kind of more hindsight is twenty twenty, especially with Man is still coming out and stuff. But I can't take the Kryptonians' costumes seriously. Yeah, they're fairly cheap. But I mean, for the eighties, I'm sure. But you know, like now that you know the new movies coming out, they look like they're wearing battle armor. It's like, yeah, these people are just wearing plastic costumes. These dudes are ready for war. So yeah, okay. As we did last week, out of seven, what do you give Superman two? Um, I would go ahead and give it. Last week, if I remember right, I gave it five for Superman uh, the movie. For Superman two, I would give it three. I did. I I just wow. I just did not oh. like it. But again, again, my theory is if if seven's a hundred percent, then three would be about fifty. So that's what I'm giving it. Okay, well, I mean, four would be right in the middle. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Um, James? Uh, I think I'll go with a five. Like, there's a lot. There's still a lot of great stuff, but a lot of the structural issues and some over-reliance on slapstick humor sort of weigh it down. Yeah. And even though I kind of 
break this more than Superman. I'm going to give it a 5 as well. I, you know, I, sometimes you can enjoy a sequel more, but it doesn't feel like it does enough different to kind of be a, be- a better movie overall. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I, I like parts of it, but I do think the climax goes on forever. And I do think that it has some problems with logic and pacing and stuff like that. But it's a fun film that still holds up really well nearly 30 years later. So, um... Yeah, that will do it for Superman 2. Join us next week as, well, Superman guest stars in his own movie as um, Richard Pryor takes over the role (laughs) and Clark Kent and Christopher Reeves gets backseat billion. So I want to thank James and David and we'll see you next week for the Man is Still cast part three.